Amen. Amen. Well, Connor is excited about missions, as am I, and um, it's going to be an incredible, incredible summer, and um, you know, uh, just to plug on that again, would just encourage you to consider going to the nations. You know, we oftentimes, we read in the scriptures about God's heart for something. Um, we could say God's heart for children, but if you've never interacted with children, it's kind of tough to get a heart for them, right? Um, and so if you've never interacted with someone in Africa or someone in Asia or someone in the UK, if you've never actually gone cross-culturally, we would encourage you to do that because there's something that God unlocks in your soul and in your spirit. There's judgments that you realize you have that you didn't know you had, uh, and then you all of a sudden realize, wow, these are people that God loves just as much as me, and I get the opportunity to interact with them and to bring them the good news. Just a reminder, it is really good news that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And it may not be as good a news if you've been walking with God for a while, like, yeah, I kinda, I remember when it was really exciting, but you have to go back and remember when someone hears this message for the very first time and they're 45 years old and they've lived an entire life apart from God and they've been trying to live their entire life trying to just prove themselves to God and everybody else and all of a sudden you say that God came in the flesh with Jesus and he came to rescue you and to forgive you, that's like a mind-blowing reality for them. So that's what, that's what we go to do in the summer, all right? So you wanna do it, again, follow up on our website or with the e-news coming next week. Well, my name's Tyler Hardy. If you're new here at Antioch, and um, I'm the lead pastor, and um, we're continuing a series today called Becoming Good Soil. And just before we jump into it, I just, I don't see many, but just wanna encourage you, if you are a parent of a child, this would be one of those Sundays we would probably not want your child to be in here, all right? So we don't normally do that. Um, not if they're an infant, obviously, but, um, but if you have a young child here this morning, we would encourage you to probably not be in this service simply because of the content. We have amazing kids ministry happening right at this very moment. You can jump in with that. Well, um, again, we've been doing this series called Becoming Good Soil, and really the whole idea here is that, you know, um, just as in we're planting a garden, if you're putting a tree down, or if you're a farmer, you want to really cultivate that kind of good soil, but in order to do that, you actually have to uproot things in your lives. You actually have to uproot the weeds and the rocks and, and, and all that stuff, and so we've kind of taken this approach to saying, okay, what does it look like for us as individuals, as people, and collectively to actually be good soil so that when the seed of the gospel, when the, when the seeds of the kingdom come upon us, when we hear them with our ears, when they land in our hearts, they actually grow and don't just land, right? Like nobody wants to just have seed put in the right spot and then never grow. That's kind of discouraging. <laughs> um, but, but, but that's actually what happens. And Jesus actually speaks to that in a parable in Matthew 13. He talks about a sower went out to sow seed and all of a sudden he goes out and, and, um, and that sower goes out to sow and, and he sows out seed on four different, and it lands on four different types of soil, right? And we kind of packed, unpacked this before, but soil one, two, and three didn't really take root, didn't really grow up. But, but the soil it lands on, the good soil, soil four, it actually takes root. And in fact, in Matthew 13, Jesus says this about that four soil. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30, right? So, um, so we wanna be that kind of good soil that's actually um, being fruitful 30, 60, and a hundredfold and beyond. So in this series, we've talked about um, our identity and how we have to uproot the lies that maybe we believe. We've talked about 
us being vulnerable and being um, and actually walking in holiness. In order to do that, we actually have to uproot sin. And last week, um, Andrew Storms preached on us um, being a humble people, which means we actually have to uproot pride, right? And so today, we're going to turn the corner here, and as we do, um, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1, because, you know, I want us to remember the way that the world population actually started, all right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now remember, this is the very first kind of interaction with God and man because he created man and woman here in this moment in the Garden of Eden, and he created them because we are made in the image of God. We're made in his likeness. So I just want us to remember that throughout history, every single human being that's ever come to this earth, guess what? They were made in his image. They were made in his likeness, right? We weren't made in any other likeness but his, Now, the sad reality is that many people, billions of people throughout history have never known that fact, have never known that reality. Therefore, they have lived their entire lives, what? Trying to discover who they really are. And so you spend your entire life trying to find out your place and find out who you really are and where you really come from. And instead of us looking above, we just look at everything here on the earth and all the circumstances, we don't really like what we see. We don't really like where we come from. We kind of despise things. But if we knew where we really came from, oh my goodness, then that would change our perspective. That would change the outcomes on our life. And we see here that God says to Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is like the first command we get, right? The first command, the literal first command from God is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, which is why I can say, hey, if you're making babies, you are in line with the first command, right? Now, but that's not it. You see, it's not just about populating the earth, although I'll say that planet earth today is getting more populated, right? And so, in fact, at the end of World War II in 1950, the earth was 2.5 billion people. 2.5 billion, that's a lot still, in 1950. Here we are 70 years later, and the earth's population is 7.6 billion. So we're kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of like a J curve. It's like, okay. So we're at 2.5, 70 years, 7.6 billion people, okay. So, um, and just so you know, if you're wondering, the U.S. is 5% of that, around 330 million people. We are 5% of the world population. So on some degree, we are actually fulfilling that mandate worldwide to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But it's not just about populating the earth because it's actually, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth as God's representatives. That's actually what's implied. Because when it says to subdue it, to have dominion, it's not just do it from a greedy place or because we're supposed to dominate planet earth or all the animals or different things. It's that we're supposed to do it God's way because we're made in God's image and his likeness. Therefore, we're supposed to do things like him. And so throughout history, there's actually been a struggle for power and land, right? And wealth and status and Tragically, those constant struggles throughout planet Earth have had devastating effects on people 
who for thousands of years have been oppressed, have been enslaved, have been controlled or forced to work and fight for another man's ambitions and desires. We've had countless wars between nations and tribes. There's been kings and emperors that have ruled by wielding fear as their main weapon. And the practice of slavery has destroyed so many people's lives for thousands of years all over the world. There are as many injustices today as there was a thousand years ago. And at the time Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago during the Roman Empire, the best estimates is that there's two to 300 million people lived on the planet. A lot fewer, right? A lot more land to roam. But as we know in reading the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus, Jesus never made it physically down to South America or North America. Jesus never went into China or Japan or Russia or Great Britain or, Great Britain or Southern Africa. Jesus didn't make it around those places physically. Jesus actually was only kind of confined to this one kind of region. We have to remember that, that Jesus literally in the flat, like on the earth, was only in a small little region in the Middle East. That's where Jesus was. But how are we actually gonna fulfill this mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, doing it God's way if, if Jesus only came and just kind of touched a few people, right? Well, he knew that the best way to spread the kingdom values, the best way to spread God's likeness, his nature around the earth was by making disciples. Because if he would make disciples, then they would actually go and make more disciples and spread the good news and spread this new way of living and thinking and talking. And that's what would truly start changing things so that people start reflecting and living lives that honored God. And so if we were made in the image of God and if we were given the authority of God as man and woman to rule the earth, to subdue it, if we were given the power of uh if we're given the power of Jesus and the resurrected life of Christ and we're given a clear mission, then let's look at real quick what was the mission of Jesus when he kicked his whole campaign off, right? So like what was the ministry campaign statement? You know, I know it's political season and all that. Political season seems to be year-round. I don't know why that is every year. It's kind of annoying, honestly. I wish they just said, you have three months to make your case and everybody's got a 1000 bucks. So everyone just kind of make it happen. So get on the road, start shaking hands, but that's never gonna happen. But in my world, that's what would happen. All right, so here we go. What did Jesus come to do when he kicked off his campaign and ministry, okay? Well, Luke chapter four, verse 16 through 20, in the NIV version, this is what it says here. It says, he went to Nazareth when he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I like to call that Jesus' drop the mic moment. He just, and they're like, oh, this is him. This is what the prophet Isaiah was speaking of. But you see, guys, why did Jesus, why did he start his ministry this way? Why did he kind of say, this is who I am? Because he knew that corrupted hearts will do terrible things. And 
the terrible things of the oppressed and the injustices of our day. And he also knew that without complete transformation of the heart, soul, and mind, nothing's really gonna change. You can try to change behaviors, but if you don't change the beliefs, it won't really last. And so then God sent his son, his one and only son, Jesus, to take on these injustices of our day. And God's plan A still today is that Christ and the church would be a part of taking on the oppressed, taking on the poor, taking on the broken and the hurting, and that we would be the rally cry, we would be the ones waving the banner and saying, we are here to help, we are here to stand in the gap, to link arms with you, not to control you, not to oppress you, but to get behind you, but to lift you up. If you feel stuck in the mud, for us to get a hand and get you out. If you feel like you're in a ditch, get you and pull you out of the ditch. That is God's heart. That's the way Jesus started his ministry, and that's what we are called to do today. Now, today's gonna be a little different because I'm actually gonna pause and bring up someone who's gonna share with us uh, specifically kind of an area of injustice that's going on in our society that many of us are not, uh, it's not that we're not aware of it, but there's a greater awareness we need to have and a greater depth, all right? So Amanda Binger, she's gonna come on up. She is our Unbound Director and... And I wanted Amanda to share because she's gonna help shed light on some specific areas and kind of take you through a little bit of a journey of the church and kind of where we're at and what we're doing about some things. Because we wanna be a people that are action-oriented. We don't just wanna talk in coffee shops and have all these great ideas and never do anything, right? So I think there's, there's, enough, there's enough of that. We wanna be people who are action-oriented. And so Amanda's gonna help bring us into a story and what God's doing and kind of how we can be a part of it, so. Well, good morning, I feel so honored be able to be up here and share with you. Um, like Tyler said, um, we're gonna be talking today about what does it look like for the church to be part of the redemptive solution that God is doing here on earth today. And it's not something new. The church has been part of doing things from the beginning. So the Lord called the church to be the first to establish education, to teach children how to read and write. The church established the first hospitals to treat the sicknesses the Lord called the church to step in in the orphan crisis. He called the church to rise up in some of these vocational trainings like Princeton and Harvard to train people to go on mission, to live in, in society and to contribute. And so today, this, it's no different. The church is still called to do the things that God is trying to redeem here on earth. And part of it is fighting back injustices like human trafficking, which you're gonna hear more about today. But the church is really the answer until Jesus returns. And I've always been passionate about seeing the church step into its rightful place in the kingdom, to be the ones called on mission to change the environment and the culture around them. When I, 10 years ago, the Lord called me to go to law school. That was something that I didn't wanna do, and it was something that I had no intentions of doing, but I did it in obedience to the Lord. And when I was there, the Lord started talking to me and sharing with me that he was giving me this law degree as a gift. He was giving it to me to be used for the sake of the kingdom and to be surrendered unto him so that I could use it for the church. And so when I was there, I was like, okay, God, I'm, I don't want this degree, but I take it and I'm humbled by it. Can you use it? Can you use it for the sake of the kingdom and for the church? And he has. He really, really has. And so through that law degree, now I'm able to represent abused and neglected kids in court, in child protection court. I'm able to run our unbound ministry here, which we're advocating for human trafficking survivors. We're in the communities 
training and teaching on how to better protect our youth. I'm getting to represent broken families um, and advocating for women in the commercial sex industry. But all of that was just because I said yes to what God wanted to do and, be, and just surrendered it to him. And so um, the history of Unbound and why we started really came seven years ago. So I had been called to go to law school. I finished, took the bar exam, passed, and started working at a law firm in Denver. Was very happy with where I was in my walk with God, but I was very hungry for more of him. And you know that when you're hungry for God, he's calling you to step out into the unknown in faith. Because when we do that, when we surrender, he moves in power and comes in and gives us more than we could ask or imagine. So seven years ago, the Lord asked me to move to Texas. I had just gotten a job in Denver. I had just taken the bar exam. I had no idea what I was doing. I couldn't even work in the state of Texas because I didn't have, a, I didn't have the, the bar exam passed here. I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't have a church family here. I didn't have any friends here. In fact, I didn't even have a place to live the same day that I packed up the U-Haul to move down to Texas. Okay, that is crazy. It's crazy. But I was so hungry for more of God. I didn't care. I was like, I am so hungry for you. I know that if you are telling me to surrender everything and follow after you, that I am gonna be met with an abundance of your provision and your gifts and your capabilities, and I want it. So I'm doing it. So I moved here seven years ago, and at the time, Antioch had started about a year after I graduated from Texas A&M. So I graduated in 08, and, and Antioch started a little bit in 09. So I had no idea that there was this church that existed called Antioch. But through the Lord's grace and provision, I landed at this church, and they were meeting in the Hilton Hotel at the time, which I loved, because I don't care about a church that has a fancy building. I just want to be a church that's for Jesus. And so I showed up on a Sunday morning, and by his grace, they were announcing that Antioch's church movement as a whole, so nationally and internationally, was taking a stance on human trafficking. And my heart, I was like, yes, the church is doing it right. This church is doing it right, and I want to be a part of it. And so I remember weeping that Sunday because I remember hearing the Lord say, this is why you're here. This is why you gave up everything. This is why I brought you here, because there is a movement of God happening in this church, and they're pushing back darkness, and they're stepping up into the rightful place that the church is called to be in, and I'm inviting you to be part of that. And so that was such an exciting day. But Unbound didn't start seven years ago. In fact, it started two years ago. So some of you are sitting in this room with a promise that you've been waiting on for years. Well, so was I. Five. Five years, actually, of waiting. God, you promised seven years ago that you were going to bring Unbound Brian Causation into this city, into this community, to transform this community and for the kingdom and for the gospel. But where, when is it happening? And for five years, God didn't do anything in the physical, but he was moving mountains in the spiritual. And so two years ago, we finally started Unbound when God gave us the green light. And it's amazing his timing because when he is behind the timing, it just opens the floodgates. And so two, two years ago, we started Unbound Brian Claus Station, and we started it with the intent to be a responsive people, to mobilize the church, to change the community around us. That is what we're called to do as the church. And so Unbound is what I said earlier. We're advocating in the communities. We're training and teaching. But it's, it's, it's the concept that God's called us, as everybody in the church, is to be this responsive people. And so today we're going to talk about what does it look like to be a responsive church? 
why are we a responsive church or why do we be a responsive church and what part do I have to play in that responsiveness? And so the first concept of what is a responsive church really comes from the Great Commission and the greatest commandment together. So one of the things that I see get sideways a little bit is when we go and make disciples, but we forget that we're also called to love God with our whole heart, with our whole soul, and our whole mind, and love others as ourselves. And we need the two together. We can't be ushering people and leading people to Christ without also showing them the love of the Father. We need to be making disciples, but sometimes that comes through the relationship of meeting basic needs. There's, a, there's an and here that we need to remember, that we are actually making disciples, but we're doing it through the avenue of actually loving like Jesus would. We can't just teach people about Jesus' ways if we're not living a life that shows people how Jesus lived and how to live like Jesus. And so we have to have the two together. And one of the stories that I love to share that's a good picture of this is my husband and I led a team to two summers ago. And we were working with our team on the ground there for Unbound. And we were working in the red light district equivalent. And there's these women and men and children working all along the streets, prostituting and things like that at the bars and the brothels. And we had these medical kits. So a doctor had put together these medical kits for us, and each one of them had been prayed over. And the medical kits contained medication for these sexually transmitted diseases that many women in the commercial sex industry experience. And um, they were kind of our avenue or our gateway by which we could build relationship with these women and, and men on the streets. And so I'll never forget, there was this one, um, there was this one brothel, and it was, it was all females, and they ranged, the, the women in there ranged from 12 and 13 all the way up into 30s. And it was my husband, me, and our other team lead, Amy Miller, who leads our Cambodia um, Unbound team. And the mom, so the house mom of the brothel, we, we go to her and we say, ma'am, we have these medical kits. Um, they've got presumptives and other um, sexually transmitted diseases medication. We think it could really help some of the women who are in your care and who are working for you. And we didn't say anything about Jesus at the time, um, but she's like, yes, come in, we need this. A lot of our girls are struggling with this stuff. We need, we need medication that we can't get. And it's really hard to get this medication. Can't get it there. So we got invited in. And I'll never forget, we, she brought every worker out. So there's about 20 of them there that night. And we're sitting in a circle. And my husband, so he's a white American male, and he grabs a tray of ice waters, and he slowly starts walking around the circle one at a time, and he's serving them water. And it changed something, guys, because those women are normally exploited by somebody like my husband. He fit that definition of somebody that was gonna exploit them, use them, abuse them, and my husband was serving them, serving them. And all of a sudden, the girls were tearing up and soft and and then we handed them these medical kits, and they're like, oh, my gosh, thank you. Like, I'm in so much pain. Where did you guys come from? And we're like, we came in the name of Jesus. Okay, this is a Muslim brothel. They're, they're predominantly Muslim. And these women are so excited. And so we get it. We share the whole gospel with them. 
And we get in a circle and we, we link arms together and hold hands and we pray in the name of Jesus in this brothel. And the reason we got in was because we had medical kits. But then once we were in, we got to share the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. This is what it looks like, church. This is what it looks like. And then I'll tell you a local story. At Unbound, we advocate for victims of trafficking. We had a woman who was arrested at a College Station hotel on prostitution charges. So she gets taken to jail, and the law enforcement calls Unbound because they're concerned that she could potentially be a victim. We were so glad they called us. So I go and interview this woman in the jail. Turns out she's definitely a victim. She shouldn't be criminalized for this. So we work with law enforcement. We work with the DA's office. And we're able to get her charges dropped. We get her released from incarceration. And now we get to transport her, give her food, clothing to a facility where she's going to learn about Jesus. Okay? That's what it looks like. Meeting a tangible need, giving love and respect to every human being, and getting to share the love of Jesus at the same time. So human trafficking, it's, it's, not, the all it's not the only injustice, but I would say it is all-encompassing. So you may be thinking, well, there's so many injustices that the church could deal, do, do something about. Well, that's true, but I would argue and challenge with you that human trafficking does encompass everything. The whole premise and value of human trafficking is that it devalues human life. And it's marked with addiction, abuse, substance abuse, poverty, homelessness, abortions, suicide, coercion, manipulation, control, exploitation, and the most severe form of bondage you could ever imagine. So in that respect, I argue with you and say that it's one of the most all-encompassing injustices of our day, and the church has got to do something about it. And we are. We are doing something about it. And so what, what does it look like, and what, or why do, we, why do we be a responsive church? God could certainly just fix all these problems. He doesn't necessarily have to invite us in, but isn't it awesome that he does? Isn't it awesome that he says, actually, I want you to be a part of the plan that I'm asking you to do, that I'm doing on earth to redeem, and I want you to be part of it? So there's a passage in Matthew that I love, um, Matthew 25, 34 to 40, if y'all want to turn there. It says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, you see the, when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And Mother Teresa has a quote. She said, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus and I must feed him. This is sick Jesus this one has leprosy or gangrene, and I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. Yes. And what's so unique, guys, is that Jesus embodies the most vulnerable and the most exploited in our community. He identifies with them. 
so closely that when we love and serve them, we are actually loving and serving Jesus himself. And that unique opportunity is not available when we get to heaven. Because when we get to heaven, Revelation says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eye and eliminate death entirely. No one will mourn or weep any longer. The pain of wounds will no longer exist for the old order has ceased. So when we get to heaven, God has made all things new. So this is our chance in this lifetime to love and serve Jesus in the most unique opportunity that we have right now, that we won't get again. So when we as Unbound get to go and sit in a jail cell with a woman or in a police station or at a hospital and love and serve this individual, we're loving and serving Jesus himself. And it's an opportunity I won't get when I go to heaven, so I wanna do it now. I wanna love and serve Jesus this way because it's one of the most unique ways we get to do it because he specifically and directly embodies and identifies with the most vulnerable. And we're called to love them. And I'll do this little caveat and I can't spend the whole sermon on it, but if Jesus is embodying himself in these individuals, then we can't be the ones to draw the lines and decide who should get help and who shouldn't or who is called to do this or that or race or background or political affiliation. We don't get to decide who we serve because Jesus identifies with them and so we're serving Jesus. The second thing of why should we be a responsive church is that we have been anointed by the spirit of the living God to rise up into the rightful place as the church to be able to have authority to do something about the things that we're facing in our world today. And Tyler touched on this um, about when Jesus read the scroll in the synagogue of Nazareth. But what I love about Isaiah 61 is that it's actually called the empowerment of the Messiah's ministry. The empowerment of the Messiah's ministry. It's the thing with which the Messiah was able to do what he was called to do here on earth. And you know what? Isaiah 61 is our empowerment too. It's our empowerment for our ministry because the spirit of the living God lives inside of us. And so the same word spoken in Isaiah 61 that testified to what Jesus was gonna be able to do in his ministry is the same thing that lives inside of us and has the authority to be able to do. So I'm gonna read it to you. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. Guys, we have the authority to make something change. We are looking outside the church for people to fix things, respond to things, and do things, but if people don't have the spirit of the living God in them, it's just another program. It's just another good idea. The church is the one that's supposed to respond because the church has been anointed with the spirit of the living God to do these very things in Isaiah 61. And so if we don't have the church being the responders and the ones doing these things, we really aren't gonna see transformational change because it takes the spirit of the living God for the transformation to happen. It can't just be all these other things. And I'm not saying that 
businesses and government and occupations are not important because we need people in the church and every single one of those spheres operating with the spirit of God in them, we can't be constantly looking at people like the government to make a decision that the church should be stepping in and doing. We've got to rise up into the rightful place, church, that we've been called to be because we have the spirit of a living God in us. And so lastly, um, in order to be part of this redemptive solution that God has called the church to be a part of, it's got to start individually with us. It's got to start with our own repentance, our own reconciliation, and our own hearts of purity before the living God. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And so specifically, maybe this morning as you're hearing me talk, you're saying, wow, that's really great. The church is being responsive with human trafficking. That has nothing to do with me. But I would argue and challenge you this morning that we often aren't aware of the ways that we're actually contributing to the very things that God's called his church to fight back on. So there's a couple of things I'm going to read to you um, and some statistics. But in central Texas, we are leading the nation on what we call John suppression stings. John suppression stings involve law enforcement going undercover, posing as a minor male or female, and setting up a conversation for individuals to come to a hotel room and have sex with that individual. We are leading the nation in people who are responding to have sex with minors at a hotel. Many of those people who have been arrested for purchasing sex for minors said that it started with their addiction to pornography. Pornography directly contributes to the demand for sex trafficking. A study of university students found that 93% of boys and 62% of girls have seen internet pornography during adolescence. A nationally representative survey found that 64% of young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. This is not a male-female problem. This is a both problem. It's in the church just as much as it is outside the church. These numbers are representative of both. Vulnerable youth in our communities are the number one targeted population for trafficking. These individuals are exposed to the child welfare system. They've had an unstable home life. They've been abused or exposed to substance abuse at a young age. And these individuals we're encountering in various professions in our community all the time. And we don't see them. We don't see them or we don't engage with them because we don't know what to do. Content that's portrayed in our over-sexualized culture of movies, music videos, um, social media, it drives an attitude that, that gives us this very violent sex content and that that's okay, that it's okay to view sex that way, that the violence that's portrayed is okay. And that's not, because Matthew 6, says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So what we watch, what we look at, what we feed ourselves with constantly, it's affecting our heart and it's affecting our soul. And so we all have a part to play 
And so God's calling us. This is, it's not meant to be a shameful message. This is meant to be a church rise up message. It's time. It is time to take our rightful place to push back darkness, to operate here in society and make a real change. And there's different ways to do that. Today, we're going to have different ways to respond. Maybe it's just, it's a humbling of ourselves. It's a holy recognition of the ways that maybe we're contributing personally to the things that God is asking us to fight back against. It starts with acknowledging it. It starts with saying that I've got to acknowledge my part in this. It may be you've got to repent and renounce sin. The the scripture actually tells us to turn away from our sinful, wicked ways. Turn completely away from the ways that we're contributing in a sinful way. And so maybe it's repenting this morning. Maybe it's praying. I'm not going to get off this stage without acknowledging that there are individuals in this room who have suffered the unimaginable, potentially at the hands of somebody in the church. And we want to be agents of healing. The church wants to be people who respond well to healing, not to harm. And so we want to pray this morning for you for healing, or we want to acknowledge that abuse or that suffering that you experience, and we want to pray for Jesus to come and touch that place. Because we believe the church can be agents of healing not harm. And then we also want to engage. So for me, it was just my law degree. The only reason it's being used for the way that it is is because I said yes to what God wanted to do. And so God's asking you this morning, how can you engage? When we become living purified sacrifices before God, he can finally use us completely to be part of the solution to the brokenness and the hurting in our communities. But we've got to engage We've got to look inside ourselves and ask the Lord, what are you gifting me, gifting me with? How have you anointed me? What can I do with my life to be a part of the big church that you're mobilizing and moving in communities to make transformational change through the power of the Holy Spirit? And so Tyler's going to come up for the invitation time of response. And like I said, there's multiple ways to respond. But I pray and I ask you, church, to respond today in some way, one of these ways or whatever. But God is calling us today to step up into the rightful place as the church to be the agents of change in our community. Hopefully you feel challenged. (laughs) If not, then you are sleeping. But, you know, truthfully, um, this is a tough topic. But um, when you read the Bible, Jesus never backs away from the tough things. He's all about it. He's all over it, actually. He repeats it. And it's because the church is meant to be the ones at the forefront, on the edge, bringing the light into the darkness, exposing it for what it is. So as Amanda shared, there's going to be multiple ways to respond. I'm going to invite the band up and... Um, you know, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There's a promise we have in Second Chronicles that when a people come before God and humble themselves, 
He actually will hear us. He will hear the cries of our heart. He will forgive our sin and begin to heal our land. I don't believe that is only healing of the soil and the crops, although I do believe that. I think there's a healing of the land where the people live and where they reside. The healing can come in. Amanda just talked about the healing. The church has to be the agent of change, saying we are here to be part of that healing process. So here's how we're gonna end. I want you to stand up and I want our life group leaders, any of our life group leaders to come on forward and be just be available. But she shared multiple ways you can respond and, and honestly, um, you can respond a lot of different ways, but specifically, you just may need to come up and confess and come clean and say, hey, I just realized for the first time today that what I've been doing or what I've been keeping in the dark is, is actually aiding into a much bigger problem. I never connected the dots like that. And it may be the thing that kind of cut you to the core today where you said, God, I want to change. But you know, Jesus began his ministry not alone. He actually did it with the spirit of the living God. He was baptized in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Then he went forth in the powers and the spirit of God. And so you may have been trying to kick whatever habit or fight whatever addiction on your own, and you just keep cycling. But Jesus came to set them free, not partially, but fully. He's here to set you free. So if you come up, you may need someone just to pray for you. There's no shame, man. We're a place that we love that. Come and get healing and quit trying to do it by yourself. And then some of you are just saying, you know, I, I actually want to pray. I want to fight for this thing right here in the spirit. I want to contend, believe that God's rescuing people all over our city, that he's unlocking the prison doors. He can kick the doors down, but oftentimes he chooses to use laborers to go into the harvest. And so we are the laborers. So maybe you just want to come up here and grab someone and say, hey, we just pray with me? Let's just pray. Let's just fight right now together, brother and sister in Christ. Let's actually contend for God to come and break through in someone's life today. It doesn't matter where you're at. I just want us to respond. You can't listen to a message like this and not do something. So the response may be to pray. The response may be to bring something into the light. Or the response may simply um, be that we just have something going on in our hearts. Maybe we didn't address today that you're just saying, I need, I need healing. You talk about being a healing church. I need some of that. It doesn't matter where you are. Just These guys are available for you. If you don't want to come up, that's fine. Grab someone next to you. But but don't check out. In the next five, six minutes, check in and engage. Because God will do something in just a few minutes if you let him. If you let him. So I'm gonna pray for us and just feel free to come on up as you wish. Jesus, we thank you. We are humbled by you and the fact that you, this is your life's work, is <laughs> setting the oppressed free, setting us free. Your life's work is calling out the darkness or bringing the light. That is who you are and what you do. So Lord, we just ask that we'd be on board with your mission, with your great plan. That Christ and the church is plan A to see these issues and these injustices dealt with head on in our day and age, we pray. We thank you, Lord. Humble us, God, in this hour. Humble us in this moment to just come and get what we need in you, Lord. Come and speak clearly. You say you will hear us. You will forgive us and heal us. Lord, we're asking for that this morning. In Jesus' name.